welcome to Secure Podcast. I hope you can all feel my soul radiating through these frequencies. See you all on the other side. Welcome back everybody. This is the Crown of a Mom series and today we are talking to one of my very, very close friends, my best friend from college. Her name is Gray Collins and I've known her for about 10 years now. And this woman, when I tell you that she radiates power, I mean it. And you're going to hear it in the way that she tells us her story about her experience with postpartum depression and her journey through birth and how that has essentially molded and shaped her future and what she is striving to do now not only as a woman but just as an active member of the collective she really wants to educate other women on what their bodies are capable of doing and their options are when it comes to birth. I think she's an amazing doula already just because of the amount of conscientious education that she does and her communication skills are unmatched. Let me tell you, I look up to this woman and I am so incredibly excited to get to share her with all of you. And she is on her journey to become a midwife in addition to getting her degree in nursing, etc. Because I don't I do not want to butcher the details of her academic endeavors, but you'll hear about them. Now what I really want to do is give you all a trigger warning. And if you've been listening from the beginning of this series, then you are already aware of what the topics are relating to. Today is relating to postpartum depression. But connected to that, we do touch on the topic of suicide and suicidal thoughts. So I just want to let you all know that if that is something that triggers you, please do not continue listening to this episode and come back when you have attained help and support for yourself. Because although these stories are beautiful and these stories are impactful, they are not a substitute for professional medical help. I want you to know that there will always be space for you here when you feel ready. And I hope that you do come back and that you do listen and that in some shape, in some form, on some level, this story helps you on your path to healing. So with that, I want to dive right into the story that Gray is going to be sharing with us about her journey through nursing her will and finding her strength physically, mentally, and spiritually. I was 24 when I found out that I was going to be pregnant with my first. And I was really excited. I was at a place where at the time I was a kindergarten teaching assistant. And uh, my husband, who was a truck driver, was on the road doing seasonal driving. And that worked for us because we didn't have any kids. And so when I found out, I was so excited. I was super anal. I wanted about all the details. I was super meticulous about the details. I'm a very, for those who know me, I'm a very detail-oriented person. And so right away, I'm Googling, you know, at, you know, four weeks, what's going on and what's developing right now. Oh, okay, all of the internal organs are developing until 10 weeks. Ooh, folic acid is really important for that development. So I'm like looking up, okay, what are foods that are rich in folic acid? And so that's how my pregnancy went. I just dove into it and um, I was incredibly physically active. I was really into nutrition because at the time I was thinking that I was on a path to become a nutritionist. And ultimately, you know, my my path showed me otherwise, you know, God kind of let me know, hey, this isn't what's for you. I have something else for you. But at the time, I definitely thought I was going to be a nutritionist. And 
ironically, if it were not for that pregnancy, I would not be on the path I am now, which is going towards um, midwifery. Because my ultimately my experience with my first son was what showed me that that's really what I wanted to do. So obviously I wanted everything to be a certain way. You know, I wanted everything to go smooth. I wanted everything to be healthy. I mean, you know that it can't be perfect, but that's what you aim for, right? So that if you fall short, then you're still at pretty good. So the plan had been to have a natural birth with Thaddeus. And it just, it ultimately I still ended up having a vaginal birth, but it was nothing like what I had imagined it to be, nor what I had wanted it to be, because I just didn't have enough information. You know, I didn't know what a doula was at the time. I didn't know really about too much about home births. I, I had heard of them, but um, I really had no idea what it truly was all about. So because of my lack of information, I ended up making some decisions in that process that kind of hurt my birthing experience looking back. Not that they were wrong decisions, but just that if I had known what I know now, it drastically would have changed the way that things ended up. You know, um, I was so excited that when those contractions finally came on, I was super labor focused. And knowing what I know now, looking back, I was in like early labor. So I should have just really been trying my best to rest, relax, you know, um, put myself in an intimate environment. And instead, I was super intense, like it's go time. You know, I was up just like pacing all night, focusing on my breathing through contractions. And it really wasn't even time for that yet. So that by the time we got to the hospital, and um, I was 16 hours in. I had not had any sleep at all. So I was just exhausted. I had been up, even though it was 16 hours, I had been up for like over a day because labor hit the night before. So I hadn't slept in over 24 hours. And so because I was tired, I felt naively that, you know, well, I'm not going to have the strength to get through this. So I started doubting myself. Maybe I should get an epidural. I'm just so tired. I'm not going to be able to push. And um, so I ended up getting the epidural and um, the hospital was UC Davis Medical Center and they have a lot of student staff, which is great. You know, in medicine, unfortunately, making mistakes is part of learning. But unfortunately, in medicine, when you make those mistakes, um, you know, there's very real consequences for that. And so um, I had a student anesthesiologist and she gave me my epidural and long story short she put it in the wrong spot so that um i was feeling everything and i thought i had an epidural so they were like would you like pitocin i'm like sure so they're pumping me full of pitocin and those contractions are monsters man and i'm just filling them and they're just rolling back to back and totally lost my cool man i had been so chill and so relaxed and so calm and focusing you know and man when they should hit the fan boy did it like i just was cussing the staff out. I was panicking. I just was so not myself. But in the moment, you're not thinking I'm not myself or you're just literally, it's so primal. And so you're literally just responding to that pain that's in that moment. So I'm not thinking like, whoa, this is a way out of character for me. Or I'm literally just like an animal responding to physically what's happening in my body at the moment. And it wasn't until afterwards that I was like, man, I am so disappointed. That is not how I wanted it to go. You know, um, I felt a little betrayed by like myself and my body that I, you know, lost my cool. So ultimately, going into my second pregnancy, I leading when I found out that I was pregnant again, I was like, okay, it's gotta be different this time. And I really just threw myself into really researching. And 
I found this book by Marie Monk and called the Marie Monk and Hypnobirthing Method. And she had this incredibly different approach to birth, which to me was, in the beginning, it felt a little lackadaisical. I mean, she was saying some stuff to me that you just don't hear in hospitals, that birth is not, not a big deal. It's not an emergency. Uh, it's not, you know, not only is it not an emergency, it's not a medical emergency. And I just was blown away by that. And I ended up reading her entire book and it was like, wow, you know, that's where I started realizing, you know, that, duh, our bodies are literally designed to do this. If you have, you know, a set of functioning ovaries and fallopian tubes and a uterus, your body was literally designed to carry babies and birth them. And so this time it was different. I was like, well, we need to do, we need to have, I need an environment that's going to support that. So I had initially been with a doctor and um, I ended up, you know what? It was a leap of faith. And I was, I was actually honestly very afraid in the beginning, but I ended up choosing a midwife and uh, right here in our tiny little apartment, you know, I thought for sure the midwife was going to be like, Ooh, you have a tiny little apartment, you know, Ooh, it's upstairs, you know, Oh, you know, your, your dog's in the apartment with you. No, you can't have, no, mm -mm. you need to have a big, beautiful home, you know, with a gorgeous, deep, fancy tub. And no, they were like, you birth where you're comfortable. And, um, it was incredibly different, incredibly different. You know, um, I just did what was comfortable for me. There was no pressure about what I could be doing or monitors or what I could or couldn't eat. You know, I didn't have to let anybody know if I needed to get up and go to the bathroom. You know, there was no limit on who could be there, how many people could be there. You know, can you have a mirror in here so I can see? Or there was nothing. It was, I was literally in charge and it felt so incredible and so empowering it was like wow i really can do this and so start to finish i had a, a beautiful home birth a water birth and it was so awesome i literally when i was done got to get up and you know shuffle around the corner down the hall into my bed and uh, my sister cooked dinner for me i had a you know, an incredible support system. My mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, a really good friend. My husband and my sister were here and my parents even got to see on FaceTime. So it was, it was so validating. And so with those two night and day experiences, I came out of that like, okay, wow, what am I going to do about this? Because this was incredible, you know? And it was such a stark contrast to what you hear about birth. You know, birth is frightening. Birth is scary. Birth is extremely painful. You know, it's a time for you to cuss out your spouse or your partner. It's a time to, you know, oh, go to the hospital and give me the drugs. And not that, you know, getting the drugs is a bad thing, but it's not the only option. And it's not the only way that you can do it. You know, it's, it's really put out there on women that, you know, birth is something that happens to us. And it's not something that happens to us. We, we literally are birth. It is us. And so... The presentation that you need the drugs, you need to go to the hospital, you need to be monitored, you need to be told what to do. It's just a misrepresentation of, in actuality, what, what we've been doing, really. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning of time, all I did was what our ancestors did. I just had my baby at home with family around me, you know? And of course, there can be complications. And so that's why, you, of course, you absolutely need an experienced and qualified midwife. But it wasn't something that uh, required emergency medical attention. It's something very natural that can happen really wherever you want it to. So that's when I knew, okay, yeah, I want to do this. Not only do I want to do this, but like, I want to advocate for this and I want to be an educator and I want women to know this because to me, it grieves my heart when I hear all of the horror birth stories of women who go in and, and, and you know, the, the bottom line is it's just because a lot of times we don't have information. We just don't. You go and um, 
don't get me wrong, I'm not villainizing hospitals or obstetricians or nurses. We need them. I applaud them for what they know. But, you know, it's set up in a scenario where everything has to run smoothly and it runs smoothly like an institution and it runs smoothly like a business. But somewhere in those lines, we forget to inform women because informing women takes time <laughs> and time is money, right? So that's where I step in with my newfound passion as a midwife, but first as a doula. So for those who don't know what a doula is, a doula is professional birth support. And that support comes physically when you're in labor. It comes emotionally with um, prenatal visits and postpartum visits. And it's informationally. We support you informationally. And that is, I mean, don't get me wrong. Birth is gorgeous. And I'm in awe and amazed and blessed by every single one that I witness. But my favorite part of being a doula, hands down, is the informational support. I love giving women information and seeing that look on their face or hearing, oh, really? When I tell them things that simply just isn't going to be told to you at a hospital, when I inform women about their bodies, when I let them know actually what's happening during contractions. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my absolute favorite part. That's what I do now. I'm a doula, but I'm also in school to become a registered nurse with a BSN. And then after that, I will enter a midwifery program so that I'm a certified nurse midwife. And the only difference between myself and an obstetrician is that obstetricians can perform surgeries. So I can only have um, healthy, low-risk pregnancy patients, but that's okay. Um, as a CNM, I will have full autonomy over my room and with my patients. And I really do intend to give the best of both worlds, which is mixing modern medicine, but also letting I fully intend to have the best of both worlds in my delivery room, which is Western medicine and female intuition. And I think the exciting part is that I definitely plan on with, you know, my medical expertise, allowing feminine intuition to come first and foremost. So I do not plan on introducing Western medicine unless it requires it. If she is a prime candidate for a natural birth and she's doing great and she's in the swing of things, I'm not gonna ask her or introduce outside interventions because I know that the female body can do it on its own. So I'm really excited about that. And I hope that I can touch a lot of lives because ultimately as women, we do this funny thing where we, after we have a baby, we, almost equate our identity with our birthing experience. So a lot of times, if you have a disappointing birthing experience, you feel like, oh, I failed as a woman. Or, um, you know, how am I going to be able to parent this little person if I couldn't even handle the pain of birth? Or, you know, um, a lot of times as women, what we tend to do is we equate our birthing experience with our identity as a woman. And so what happens is if you have a disappointing birthing experience, you kind of tend to take that on, on an emotional level and on a spiritual level. And so my plan and my hope is that empowering women in the delivery room and being as hands-off as possible will show them really just the strength that they truly have and how incredible they truly are and that they have it. My hope is that with that empowerment, my patients will have lower postpartum depression rates. So 20% of women right now currently are struggling with postpartum depression. And thankfully it's being talked about a lot more, but unfortunately it's still not being talked about enough. And it's not recognized or just how serious it really can be. It's a real thing. It's not something, it's not just, you know, an emotional woman, oh, that's how women are, they're emotional. And, you know, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real serious thing. And it affects, it affects lives and it affects mothers and it affects mothering. 
It affects their relationships with their partners. It affects their relationships with their friends. And it affects their relationship with themselves. Um, so this is actually my first time publicly coming out about this. But I myself, after I had my second, struggled with postpartum depression, which completely took me off guard and surprised me because I had such an amazing birthing experience. And so I wasn't quite sure why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. And looking back, I think most definitely it was because of my lack of community. Um, my husband and I, we live out here in Sacramento and I don't have a lot of people around me um, that I can call community. I have really close friends who live in other cities. I had my sister at the time, hallelujah. Um, but my, my parents live in San Diego. And so it, it's, it's literally just me and my husband here. And so um, I think that took quite a toll. And along with other things, I had um, some hormonal imbalances and that definitely played a huge role as well. And in the beginning, because I had never struggled with depression before, I wasn't quite sure what I was dealing with. I thought maybe I was just going stir crazy a little bit because um, the midwives had asked, especially because I live upstairs, that I stay you know, on bed rest as much as possible for the first two weeks. And so I literally did stay in this apartment for two weeks, which that was the longest two weeks of my life. Oh my God, I could not wait to get outside <laughs> at the end of that two weeks. Um, so I just kind of chalked it up to that. Like, oh, you know, I just kind of need some fresh air, you know? Because I kept, I didn't understand what it was at first. I didn't, I had never had a reason to look into postpartum depression before. So I really didn't know the details of it or what it was. And so it didn't make sense to me what was going on because I just kept going back to the fact that I had an amazing birthing experience. I have a beautiful, healthy son. I got two, matter of fact. And so why am I feeling so sad? It just didn't make sense. And it wasn't until time progressed and I continued to feel that sadness and that sadness morphed into an uglier, darker cousin that I was like, okay, maybe something's wrong. But you know what? I got this, you know. Um, I started to feel hopeless. I started to feel this despair. Um, just this darkness. I'm, I'm trying so hard to put it into words, but if you're out there and you're listening to me, you know that there's really not a word for it. And so if this is speaking to you and you're feeling the way that I'm describing right now, reach out to somebody and reach out to your primary care doctor or your midwife or your obstetrician or someone and check in with them. And maybe it's not what I have, but maybe it is. And you can get some help because it really is hard to put words to it. It's more of just a really dark, heavy feeling. And depression is not something that's talked about, uh, not in my community, certainly not my cultural community, you know, as an African-American, as a black woman, because, you know, we're, we, we have this, horrible habit of taking on what seem like positive stereotypes, but in all actuality, those positive, quote unquote, positive stereotypes can be to our detriment because the African-American community, uh, particularly black women, have this, this quote unquote, positive stereotype of being incredibly strong. Um, and we are, but also there's this side to it that we are emotionally strong. You know, we don't feel pain. and that's actually to our detriment because we're human, you know? And if we're, you know, if we're being frank, that was used to dehumanize us and justify slavery. So we're very human. Yes, we are strong, but we're not superhuman strong. We have human feelings and we have a right to feel those human feelings. And it doesn't make us less black to feel those feelings. So, um, you know, I'm guilty myself. I was like, not wanting to let myself feel that sadness or that despair because I was like, mm -mm, no, that's not what we do. This is not how we do. 
So shake it off, girl. And, um, you know, faith-wise, it wasn't something that we discussed. You know, as a growing, raised Christian, um, it was one of those things where, you know, you're just not trusting enough. You're not having enough faith or you're not giving it fully to God. And so there was a part of me also that felt like I was being ungrateful for the beautiful children that God had blessed me with. Like, how could I be feeling this way? This is so ungrateful. God just blessed me with a second beautiful child and he's healthy. And it was a birth with no complications. You know, you got the home birth that you wanted and you're still sitting around here moping, feeling like this. You know, there was a part of me that felt like I was just being this ungrateful Christian, this ungrateful person. You know, there's so many people out there who have it worse. How dare you sit here and feel like this when you have a beautiful family, your bills are paid, there's a roof over your head and you have two beautiful children. But you know, the longer it went and the more I realized, ooh, um, you know, thank God for prayer. Prayer was wonderful. And thank God for positive thinking. Positive thinking is, is powerful. But um, prayer and positive thinking just wasn't fixing it. It wasn't making it go away. And that's when I realized, hmm, something might be wrong here. I believe there was an Easter Sunday. It might've been my Lazarus first Easter. And pastor was talking about how Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane before they took him away for crucifixion. And he was praying with Father God saying, if you can take this cup from me, you know, I'd prefer that, but not my will, but your will be done. So I had heard this story a million times before but when Pastor talked about how Jesus sweat blood, it struck me. That's stress. And so me being the research nut that I am, I looked it up and it's a real physiological condition. It's rare, but it's a real physiological condition called hematidrosis. When you are under extreme amounts of duress or stress, such as an individual like Jesus, who's thinking about his death, and you're so stressed that capillaries near your sweat glands burst and that blood comes out in your sweat. And I realized, how could I not be a good Christian to be feeling this way when Christ himself was so stressed, he sweat blood and that's God's child. So it was so freeing. It was like the Lord telling me, there's nothing wrong with you. You haven't been ungrateful. You haven't been, you know, um, you haven't been a wayward servant. You, you're, you're human, just like Jesus was. And I, and it was freeing because it was like, okay, you know what? I need to, I need to look into this more. It's okay for me to reach out for help. You know, this is not, you know, um, you know, it's not unchristian of me. It's not heathen of me to seek help. I wish I could say that I went and got help right away. The story probably would have gotten a lot better a lot sooner. But I still had just that um, that dark demon of equating mental illness with weakness that I wouldn't allow myself to. I still was like, okay. You know, thank you for that epiphany, Lord. I appreciate the past, um, but I'm going to still kind of trudge on a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to still try to figure this out for myself because there was just a part of me that felt like going and getting help equated me to being a quitter. And where I'm from, you just don't quit. Not ever. So I just kind of kept pushing on until eventually the depression turned into anxiety. And that was an entire new ballgame, entirely. I couldn't even drink coffee anymore because the added caffeine, I just did not need it. I felt every day like I was having a heart attack. On my worst days, I would literally wake up and I'd come into the kitchen, you know, start to try to start my routine. And just that walk into the kitchen, I'd literally have to sit down and try to catch my breath. And I still didn't go and get help. I just thought, okay, well, let me start 
looking into breathing and let me start looking into um, guided relaxation or guided meditation videos. And those did help, but the anxiety would still be there again the next day. Ultimately, it just got so bad that I finally found myself in this really dark place where I started entertaining the idea of death. I never got to the point of being suicidal, but I started having these bargaining conversations with God. I was like, okay, I know God that I can't commit suicide. You don't want me to do that. And I don't want to put my family and friends through that pain. So why don't you just do it? And then that would totally take the responsibility off of me. You know, like, okay, Lord, my quality of life here is just crummy. Every day I wake up and I can hardly breathe. I can hardly breathe. I feel frantic. I feel panicky. I feel lost. Um, it was incredibly hard for me to focus. I would be cooking and all I really needed was to open the utensil drawer and get a stirring spoon, but I ended up opening five drawers because I forgot what I was looking for because my thoughts were just so incredibly all over the place. And my heart was just beating so hard all the time. So I just started barking with him like, okay, Lord, this is no way to live. I'm tired of doing this because at that point I had been struggling with the depression and then now the anxiety for about a year. And I started losing hope that I was ever gonna get better. You know, in the beginning I thought, well, it's just because I'm breastfeeding. You know, my hormones are still pumping. My hormones are still raging because I'm breastfeeding. Maybe once I wean my son, everything was gonna even out. I'm going to go back to the old self. Everything's going to be fine. And I weaned him, not getting better, getting worse, in fact. Um, losing my patience a lot, being snappy with my husband, uh, not handling. I mean, toddlers are toddlers. <laughs> you know, they make messes. They break things. Uh, they don't care about what mood you're in or how fragile, you know, your state of mind is. You know, they want the milk when they want it. They want the cartoons when they want it. They want their toys when they want it. Um, they poop whenever they want to, they make messes whenever they want to, and that just does not accommodate for depression and anxiety. And so I had a few mom moments that I really wasn't proud of. Ultimately, it was my children, really, that forced me to get help because I want them to have amazing memories of their childhood with me as a mother. I remember one time they had gotten into my makeup oh my gosh, just unscrewed everything. Eyeshadow powder all over the carpet, mascara wand out, mascara all over the bed, all over themselves. All my beautiful lipsticks opened and rubbed on the carpet. So there's carpet fibers and hair all in it. And I literally just could not handle it. Couldn't handle it. Was crying like a baby, upset, yelling. Um, I mean, not, not, not something that I'm proud of at all, but something that I'm sharing because if there's other moms out there who have had these moments, you're human and you just need help. And I, it was like, this is not how I want my kids to remember me at all. I want to be, I want them to remember, man, mom was so creative. We did so many arts and crafts, man, mom made games out of anything, you know, um, Mom was so patient. Mom was so kind. Mom was so caring. I don't want them to remember, man, you know, we could not make a mess in mom's house. We could not be little humans, you know, they're toddlers, they're kids. And so for me, it was like, okay, I need to get help because they deserve my best and I want to give them my best. And I'm just not at my best right now. I'm not. So um, I ended up reaching out. I talked about it, I discussed it with my husband. He was completely supportive, hallelujah. Because let me tell you, I'm sure that I was a difficult spouse to have. I really do. There are times where I'm just in awe of the fact that he's still here. <laughs> because I know, um, you know, when that anxiety set in, there really would be nothing to stress about, but I would feel incredible amounts of stress. He could just be watching the game. And you know, he likes to watch the game loud. But I would just feel the anxiety would make me feel incredibly sensitive and overwhelmed very easily. And so sometimes just that loud game in the background 
coupled with, you know, the popping of the oil in the pan that I was cooking with like a toddler wrapped around my feet felt completely unbearable. I felt so incredibly overwhelmed and so stressed out. I would have to ask him, honey, can you please turn the volume down? Sometimes it would be so bad. I would be like, can you just turn it off? And um, he would, he would. So praise God for him <laughs> and his patience um, because that helped, it helped a lot. It could have been so much worse if he didn't get it. And if he was just snapping back at me, like, God, I'm just trying to watch the game, you know, like what's wrong with you? Um, so yeah, with his support and, you know, his agreements, I, I, I went in, talked to my doctor. Um, she asked me the standard questionnaire when you say, hey, I think that I have, you know, I think I'm struggling with postpartum depression or, you know, depression and anxiety. There's a, there's a questionnaire they ask you. I just started to cry in the middle of the questionnaire because hearing out loud, I was just answering yes to so many questions. Or I was answering frequently to so many questions. You know, how often do you feel overwhelmed? How often do you feel alone? How often do you entertain thoughts of death? And it was just frequently, every day, yes, yes every day, every other day, frequently. And I just started crying. Cause it was just confirmation, like, yeah, I need to be here. And that day, you know, she diagnosed me with moderate depression, severe anxiety, prescribed me a medication. And within a week, I could feel the difference. I really could. And um, it was huge for me to go and do that because the community that I was raised in, both culturally and faith-based, you know, medicine is a little bit of a taboo for mental illness. There's also this, you know, within uh, within communities of color, there's also a distrust um, for medicine. You know, we've had, you know, the Tuskegee Airmen, we've been medical experiments before. And so really it's just kind of, there's this feeling of you don't know what they're giving you, or, you know, you don't know that your business is really your business. And, you know, gosh, what'll happen if it gets out there that you, you know, you're taking medicine for postpartum depression. Well, I guess people are just gonna know that I'm taking medicine for depression because it's something that's normal and we need to normalize it. And normalizing it will save lives. Because the bottom line is it, it's a real thing. It's a real physiological thing. It's not just an emotional thing. Emotions are based in science. You know, there are hormones that are released that make you feel the way that you feel. And so if those hormonal imbalances, if those chemical imbalances are not addressed, they could develop into other things, such as postpartum psychosis you know, which is an even more severe, serious problem. So we really need to just be open. And so it was a huge step for me to come out and be public about this. But I mean, how hypocritical would that be? Me as a doula, me as a midwife and not coming out with my story. It's just time. And so if anything that I have said has resonated with you or that you can relate with, please know you do need help for it, but it's normal and that it's happening and that there are answers for it, there is help for it. You're not a bad mom just because you feel overwhelmed. You're not a bad mom because you feel sad. You're not ungrateful for feeling despair when you have beautiful children. You are not, you know, whatever faith you have, whether you have one or you don't, you're not disrespecting those who don't have. You're by feeling the feelings that you're feeling, in a situation where you have, you know, get help, please get help. And, you know, um, what you do with your experience is completely up to you with what you're comfortable with. But if you have the strength and if you feel it in you to do so, please share with others. Because the more that we share, the more that it becomes normalized, the more other people feel like it's normal, you know? So, Things are a lot different now that I'm on my medication. You know, I just take one pill a day at eight. I'm on Zoloft. And um, it's just, I'm me. I'm me again. You know, I was so skeptical before. I thought, oh, I'm going to feel like a zombie. We're just going to change my person. You don't know what they're putting in that. You know, I could be, you know, I'm just going to be this drugged out zombie. And that is so not what I am. I'm just myself, you know? And if you don't like it, there's other things that you can try. There are other ones out there. I just so happened to, she tried so well with me and it worked. But I, I cannot stress enough. I just, I feel like the old me. Do I still have bad days sometimes? Yeah, I do have some anxiety triggers. Yeah, there are still some triggers. 
um, but it is not that life is worth living again. I'm not at that place where I feel like, wow, this, if this is what life is, I really don't want any part of it. And I'm so happy not to be feeling that way anymore because it doesn't, I mean, I mean, it sounds obvious, but yeah, it don't feel good to feel that way. <laughs> it doesn't. So it feels amazing to be happy and excited about life again. And um, wow, praise God that I went in to see that doctor and did what I did because it has trickled into absolutely every aspect of my life. I have been able to start um, nursing my relationship with my spouse in ways that I wasn't able to. Because, you know, when you're just focusing on <laughs> surviving the day or um, trying to get basic tasks done while you feel like you're having a heart attack, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to put attention, well, the attention that they deserve into others and those around you in your life. You know, um, I'm able to reach out to friends now and ask them about how they're doing. I'm able to be way more patient with my children now. Um, I'm in school, like I said before, doing my, getting my prerequisites out of the way so that I can go into nursing school. And I'm able to just pour myself into my schoolwork. I, I guess I, I feel like I've gotten a second chance at being me again. And so it's kind of like this rebirth. I just, I don't want to waste it because I feel like I didn't realize how things could be before. And so I feel like the first time that I was the me that I am now, I took it for granted, you know? And so now I just, I just want to pursue everything to the fullest. You know, I, I, I bust my ass in my classes. You know, I do absolutely every single assignment. I do the extra credit. I go to the tutorial hours. Um, I read the textbook. I go over the lecture notes. Um, yeah, just I want to kill it. I want to be the best me that I can be because I'm just so excited for this second chance, you know. And I'm really excited to take this with me into my journey as a midwife. I just want to pour it out, you know. <laughs> I just want to pour it out on all my patients. And um, as a doula, every mommy that I get to be a doula to, I just I'm so excited to just pour that same energy into her and just support her and empower her and that's that's really um that's really where i'm at right now it's not the end of the story it's not but um but it's a good new chapter it's a really good new chapter and it's a chapter that i'm really happy to be in and i cannot wait to see what's in store The beauty of human nature I found is, is willpower. And so if you do find yourself struggling with depression or anxiety or postpartum depression, please rest assured knowing that at the end of the day, you are still you. And in those moments, because it's never constantly the dreary storm, right? You never constantly feel the blackness. You never constantly feel the heaviness. You may have long spells where the heaviness is there, but then there's like these little days or these little moments where like maybe you find a little reprieve and you feel like yourself again. And in those moments of reprieve, if you, whatever strength that you can find within yourself to keep going, remind yourself of that. Because the beauty is at the end of the day, only you can determine when you're done, right? And so of course, community is a huge part. And so unfortunately, you know, some people don't have that. Ultimately it ends tragically. You know, there are people who it ends in suicide, unfortunately, and it breaks my heart. But if you do have that community, if you can find it within yourself to will your way through, claw through it, dude, because that's absolutely what I did. And I, without mentioning, you know, yes, I did go to the doctor, but as I told you guys, I ignored it for a while. And when I finally made the decision, it wasn't an easy, it wasn't this one moment where I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go. <clears throat> I literally clawed my way out of it. It was nothing but sheer willpower willpower for myself, willpower for my children, willpower to just get back to what I knew that I could be. And that in and of itself is beautiful and that is empowering. 
because please don't get me wrong for those who in their lives tragically I am not saying that they are weak at all. That is not what I'm saying. But for those of us who are still living, where there's a will, there's a way. And if you can find it within yourself, if you can, if you cannot, that does not say anything less about yourself. I hope that you have community around you then that can step in and be like, we, we, let's get this taken care of. We're here for you because clearly you cannot decide this for yourself right now. But if there is a will, oh my gosh, cling to it because there's so much to be said for it. There's so much to be said for it. Will your way out of it every single day. Sometimes it was a task just for me to get out of bed. And I just wanted to lay there and <laughs> if I'm being honest, die. But that little will in me was like, no, this is this, this can't be how it is. So you need to get up. You need to get up. Just one little bit at a time, even if it's just getting yourself out of bed, Okay, cool. Then will yourself to the bathroom and wash your face or take a shower or will yourself to the kitchen and make yourself some breakfast. One little thing at a time because the next thing you know, before you know it, you're slowly pulling yourself out of the muck. And so I willed my way to the doctor. It was like just one little thing at a time. Okay. And once I was there, it was like so freeing. I could just feel all the weight coming off of me like, oh, I'm here. I made it. There's help now. It's not over, but it's going to get better. And then you carry that on. I, I, it has impacted me and it will continue to impact me forever because it was, a, it was, it was an eye opener for, for me. It was a lesson for me and that my will is my will. And only I choose, I can't handle. I choose when I want to quit. And so I choose not to. I choose not to quit. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean that it's not going to feel crappy. There might be all of those things, but you'll still get through it. You know, um, the first day I went back to school for the semester, before I got my medication, I had chemistry and statistics. And I literally had an anxiety attack in the first day of statistics because it was like, so overwhelming. I can't do this. This is too much. I've already got a lot of crap going on in my life right now. This is just, no, there's no way. I'm not going to be able to pass this. She's already talking about all the stuff we need to know. But then that little voice, that little will, it was small, it was tiny, but I would nurse it, you know? It's like, I wouldn't want to go to school because it would be like, you have so many questions you have to ask. That teacher's going to be like, shut up. You're asking too much. Go home and read the textbook. Or ask, phone a friend, because you're asking too much. But that small little voice, I would nurse it, like not ask that question. Oh, but man, I'm gonna look stupid. No, ask it anyways. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed having my hand in the air right now. And little bit by little bit, it got easier. Little bit by little bit, it got easier. And I, by the end of the semester, I was able to raise my hand without feeling humiliated, which sounds maybe for some of you like no big deal, but for me, it was huge to be able to, in a math class or in a science class, raise my hand and ask a question without caring about like what other people were thinking. So nurse your will. Nurse your will and listen to it and watch where you come out of. Watch where you end up at on the other side of things because I'm telling you, literally months ago, I was praying for death. That's just the ugly truth. And now here I am on the other side and all I did was just nurse will, nurse my will. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, okay, now I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make myself, I don't want to, whatever, do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm complaining in my head the whole time I'm doing it, but I still did it. And am I, am I where I at perfect? No, I still got a butt ton of school left. I still have two toddlers <laughs> who poop in diapers, who sometimes that poop gets out of the diaper onto other, matter of fact, tonight, I had to clean poop out of the tub. But it's, 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 it's going, it's moving and it's, it's, it's looking really good while it's happening. So please, please nurse your will. If there's a will, there's a way. Don't give up. Do it anyways. Just make yourself do it. I promise it will be so worth it. I am so extremely proud of my friend Gray for sharing her story with us. 
I am so proud to see how far she has come because she really does embody a journey that a lot of women have gone through, are going through, or might go through. So speaking out and sharing your story, it really just forms a part of a bigger movement of healing our collective and normalizing these topics that are hush-hush. So for anybody out there who might have a friend going through something similar, please pay attention. Pay attention to the signs and check in on your friends. I know that we live such fast-paced lives and we're so used to being busy and always having somewhere to go, something to do, and somebody to be with. Don't forget about your friends check in on your strong friends check in on your friends who have children check in on your friends who don't have family around check in on your friends who you feel like are not themselves lately check in because it can be the difference between a really rough day and a not so good day and if you don't know how to be there for your friend reach out to them and ask You don't lose anything in asking a friend how you can be there for them. Having to learn how to be there for a friend who might not be having the same experiences at the current point in time, but learning how to hold space for them regardless. And I just want to pass that on to anybody out there who might be experiencing something similar. And with that, babes, I hope that with this beautiful episode, we were able to bring a little more secure into your space and leave a lot less silence in your hearts. Until next time. I think from now on I'll love myself with patience because I've seen what can be on the other side of some pretty nasty situations. So I think I'm going to stick with that. I will love myself with patience. That's how I want to love myself. I don't know what happened to my body the next time I have a child, um, but at least I know, you know, what postpartum depression can look like or what anxiety can look like. And even aside from that, just, you know, um, in my career goals, you know, I know that class is going to be tough. It's going to be really hard to juggle, you know, nurse life with mom life, midwife life with mom life, but I'm um, just going to be patient with myself. And just kind of remind myself, remember where you were? Mm-hmm. And you see that you're here now? Yeah. But you can get through this again. I'm just going to start dedicating my patience with myself. <laughs>